Were you here when they first came? Uh, yes. They brought it in a couple weeks ago. Your room seems different. And men are coming. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I know what you mean. I am trying to tell you that you have to watch out. Things can happen. Something happened to me. Something happened to me. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part 12 of Twin Peaks The Return. Part 12 was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on July 30th, 2017. On this episode, Agent Preston is brought deeper into the Blue Rose inner circle as questions about Diane intensify. Sarah Palmer struggles with her inner demons, possibly only metaphorically. Ben Horn learns of the full extent of Richard's recent crimes. Hutch and Chantal carry out their bad coop-assigned mission. Audrey Horn makes a convoluted return. We stop in on Cooper, Jerry, Carl Rod, and Jacoby. And even more brand new names are somehow dropped in the roadhouse. That's that's accurate to that's, this. That's what happened. To this week's Twin Peaks. Yep. Uh, actually, before we start, we... Oh, let's, we let's, just, some, let's just tear the Band-Aid right off, Chris. Yeah, we got some <laughs> crucial email that I think can't wait until the end of the episode. Um, Russell writes in to uh, Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net. In last week's episode, when the Mitchum brothers are on their way to make up, meet up with Dougie, Bradley clearly rips a Band-Aid off of his brother's face. Um, Izzy writes, I'm a new listener, but I love the show. I just listened to the episode 11 recap. Was it not just a plaster he ripped off his brother's face? I was surprised you even mentioned that scene. I expect other people have already emailed you this. Edwin writes, when they were in the car, I believe there was just a Band-Aid over the wound. Tim writes, hey guys, long-time listener, first time writing in, it was a Band-Aid on his face. The whole time you were talking about it, I was yelling, it was a Band-Aid. John writes, great episode, but you spent a lot of time worrying about what was actually a bandage, not a missing wound. Uh, we got some YouTube comments that I thought were interesting. YouTube commenter Bill Carr writes, he ripped a Band-Aid off the wound. YouTube commenter John Paddlesick writes, it was a bandage that he removed. YouTube commenter Matthew Padrone writes, guys, it was a Band-Aid. YouTube commenter JMH writes, Rodney had a tan Band-Aid on his face. YouTube commenter Sam Him asks, what is going on with Jake's headphones? By the way, that was a Band-Aid. <laughs> YouTube commenter Kazuso Ninja writes, a Band-Aid. YouTube commenter Chris XXS writes, have you no concept of how plasters work? Uh, and YouTube commenter Clockwork Kubrick points out, hey guys, I just wanted to be the first person to tell you that it is a Band-Aid. Uh, so some really interesting mail and comments. Yeah, it's interesting in that people week. are speculating about what things may or may not mean in yeah, Twin Peaks yeah, The no, Return. Yeah, we got a lot of theories about what was going on in that inexplicable, baffling scene featuring the Mitchum brothers. Yeah, where they removed a wound, maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. I yeah, mean, there's still really a few sure. more episodes yeah, yeah, left yeah. to go, so what that really means will be revealed. Yeah, but if you... if you, I didn't even get to the forums uh, with these, so if you if you have any interesting theories on that scene, uh, you can write in to, to Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net, post on the forums. You almost said write in a Band-Aid. 
<laughs> right into Band-Aid at idlethumbs.net. That will, your email will bounce instantly. Um, much it'll as go, it'll go exactly where it needs to go. <laughs> yeah, it, it will go where our awareness of what a Band-Aid looks like went. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, on to the FBI investigation. Yeah, in part twelve. There's not really a lot of new information gleaned. I think things that have been hinted at were 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 made aggressively definitive in this scene, right? I mean, when Albert yeah. just says, hello there, I'm going to tell you what a Blue Rose case is oh, sure. and all of the agents who have been involved and yeah. the complete history yeah. of it. I'm going to name drop all of the cool characters from yeah. uh, that, the FBI storyline yeah, that, that you've ever heard. That was striking to hear him just list Philip Jeff- Jeffries, Chet Desmond, yeah. Dale Cooper... Him, you know, himself. Him and Gordon. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah. That was a weird thing to hear all in one sentence at one time, given how sort of fractured that story has been throughout the history of Twin Peaks. Yeah. You've, you've, it's not a complicated story, but it's one. Yeah. No, you're no, either only ever yeah. heard in parts or the show just is kind of passive or aloof or doesn't really feel the need to spell it out. This is the season where things are spelled out. Yeah. Like all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's things that you have no context for and people you don't know who they are or anything about them, but it's going to get spelled the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. God, there were a lot of names in this episode. Yeah. A lot of names of people we have not yet seen. I give Twin Peaks a lot of guff on this podcast when it gets into the lore zone. Yeah, when it, you know, sure. yeah. And it is admittedly drifting very dangerously into being an X-File in this mm. episode. But because of the history of these characters and because of all this stuff, I totally was excited all the same. I can't help but be happy when Albert, like when he just barfed oh, all yeah, of that yeah. out, when he, when he, you know, yeah. Chet Desmond and Philip Jeffries and all that stuff. It's like, I already knew that was what the history of all this stuff yeah, was, sure. more or less. But no, I was, I, it was still like, as I just agree. a Twin Peaks fan dork, well, it was exciting I to actually, hear. I actually liked all of the FBI stuff on this episode. Yeah, okay. I liked it, yeah. I, I, I was worried that you wouldn't and I was worried that I wouldn't, but I was pleasantly surprised that I no, actually I, I enjoyed liked, it. I liked all of it, but I mean, to your point of spelling things out, I mean, the stuff that was really tough for me in this episode is how, given how little actually happened in terms of action on mm-hmm. the show. I mean, there was definitely some some forward momentum on this episode that we'll talk about, obviously. But given how much of this episode was like people talking at each other, mm-hmm. there were just a lot of references to off-screen characters and things that in total, I mean, between the Audrey reintroduction, I mean, I know we'll talk about these things individually, yep. but just for the episode as a whole, between the Audrey reintroduction, the Roadhouse scene at the end, um, you know, I mean, there were just a lot of cases of just long, long bits of characters we either only barely know or in some cases literally have never heard mentioned before. Yep. And that that was that was rough. Yep. But I, this I, Albert one was him recounting a history with basically a bunch of old friends and old sort of yeah. s- scraps of story. It felt I liked that. And I I, I liked how happy Preston was oh, about yeah. being brought in. And I love how happy Cole is about it. Man, Gordon Cole being so happy about like that yeah, that's actually, I think, the thing that I liked the most about that entire opening scene was the way that David Lynch played Gordon Cole being happy, like, not just because, like, Preston, who seems like she might kind of be a protege of his, but also it his performance legitimately sold to me the weight that these characters have been burdened with of where, you know, Albert said basically, other than Gordon, I'm the only one who hasn't disappeared. And right. because of that reason, we haven't really been able to tell anyone about this. Yeah. And like those two guys who have 
basically been stuck in a room for 25 years, unable to let any pressure off of themselves. I felt like David Lynch played that really well. Just like he was just was so happy. Yeah. I yeah. hear. I mean, I I know that that's getting a little bit beyond that that scene right this second. But in general, Cole on this episode, I found to be extremely enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, he was. I mean, I don't know if there's any direct connection between his happiness in that scene that you're talking about and just the way he was acting elsewhere in this episode, but it felt like there was some degree of maybe. I I would that connection is not is is arguable to yeah, me because yeah. the other no, the enough. other scene could just be because he was with some woman in well, his hotel room. Yes, obviously, but I guess I yeah I guess I'm not really going anywhere with that. I guess we'll just we can just talk about that scene when we when we get there. Um, but I enjoy. I generally enjoyed Cole on this episode. Yep. Oh. Um, there's also a very, very, very classic, super classic Albert interaction when Diane comes in and he, she's, you know, he offers her vodka and she says, "I like it on the rocks," and he says, "You're in luck. The Dakotas are still in the Ice Age," which I really, I just, <laughs> oh yeah, that's that. a good. I thought that was just a good classic Albert moment. Yep. It one thing that was pretty clearly clarified, I think, at this point, is that. Preston, I mean, unless this is a real long con, Preston seems to have their, genuinely have their trust entirely, and Diane seems to absolutely not have their trust. Yeah. I mean, that that I mean that stuff has been sort of up in the up in the air and debatable, I think, over the last few weeks, Even, but yeah. that's pretty, I think, pretty- just The structure and contents of the scene, they start it with, with Preston and just tell her everything and then say, welcome to the club. Okay, now all of us are going to bring Diane into the room and feed her kind of a half-baked version of this and then immediately just continue to monitor all of her texts. Well, yeah, right. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yes. Yeah. It feels like they, yeah, they don't trust her and there's probably some very specific, I mean, it seems like they're just using her to get to whatever the hell she's doing. Yeah. But lying to her about it. Yeah. Wish we knew a little more about that, but it's very clear what's going on in, in, in the moment. What did you make of when she sends the coordinates? What did you make of her? I, I hope this isn't another Band-Aid situation, but like that I'm just somehow missing something. What was that coordinates plus two thing that she did? I don't know. I think that just there was some. Did she have like a memory trick or something? I don't. I, I thought that she was just saying aloud whatever it was that was on that arm. And it's just not entirely a uh, real, yeah. real way that coordinates work. Or I don't know enough about how GPS coordinates work. I just didn't understand the plus two thing because she didn't say any other numbers. I think that she was just typing and then said one thing aloud to herself. That's all it seemed like to me. Yeah. yeah um, but then her it. wound was gone. <laughs> she tore a wound off of her own arm. <laughs> when she tore those coordinates off of Ruth Davenport's yeah, she tore, arm. She tore the, uh, the tattoos off her arm and found the original numbers from the undoctored plus two. Uh, photograph. That was how they doctored the photograph for okay. Diane. Yeah, Albert put a wound on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, are, what are we talking about? Sorry. Uh, 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 absolutely nothing. I mean, it's worth mentioning the actual context of the texts, which uh, were Las Vegas, question mark. And I because this seems like it might actually matter in this series, Las Vegas was in standard capitalization form. Yeah. And her response, they haven't asked yet, was in It was in all caps. caps. Yeah. 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 Yep. Which Cole and Albert are, they don't, I mean- they don't know what that is about. No. Um, uh, but before they don't know what that's about, there's this outrageously long scene in which Albert asks Cole to uh, temporarily dismiss his lady companion. 
and she spends about 20 times as long as she needs to, like very demonstratively uh, getting her stuff together and leaving, which I understand why some people find that scene not good or object or just like straight up objectionable. I kind of found it hilarious personally um, because it was just so outrageous. It was so over the top and pushed so far that I, I, I kind of, I kind right. of liked how absurd it was. I see you do not. Uh, I, it, which is fine. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I liked it. One, I liked it more once it crossed the threshold of like, holy crap, this is clearly intended to just go on forever. Mm-hmm. But like, it, I, it did less for me than it, than no, it could have fair. for I'm how not, many minutes I, of it yeah, I was watching. That's fair enough. I'm not going to mount a spirited defense. No. But uh, certainly. Gordon Cole and David Lynch both clearly enjoyed the hell out of that scene. I mean, the fact that it was punctuated with uh, Cole's bad French as well as, like, she gestures to the wine and says, très bon, and he goes, it's a good one. Oh, There's I know. All those little things. All like, that stuff's the whole good. combined His everything His stupid of that. attempt to make a turn-up pun, but then he reveals that he yeah, was giving it in French. Yeah. Oh, it was good, but it was... It, Wait, in French? Yeah. Oh, because he actually... Tr- I thought he meant she didn't understand the English pun. Oh, I think that it's because he tried to say it to her in French. That was my oh. word. I thought he was like... I thought he just said something along the lines of it doesn't play in French. Oh, I thought okay. I, I thought I that he's. I thought that what he yeah. said to Albert was she didn't get it either. But I think it's because it doesn't work in French or something like that. Like the implication being that he. I see. Had I somehow see. tried to deliver a pun in French. Maybe I misunderstood. It doesn't matter. Maybe the, he took a wound off his face. The joke is basically the same either yeah. way. Yeah. There's a language barrier and his pun failed. Yeah. Yep. Gordon Cole, charmer I, and uh, I, I creator guess, of weird awkward scene. I guess part of what made all that stuff work to me also is that it really set the scene for the what followed between Cole and Albert in which Albert is absolutely deadly serious and like not having it with Cole's yeah sort of eccentricity right now yes um and Cole is still has not come down from his fun time right that's kind of been a there's been a weird undercurrent between Gordon and Albert this entire season yeah there there has been that I I wish that I could pin down and know what it is but i really i really it enjoy wouldn't it wouldn't be as good as it is if we yeah no do that it's 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 cool that we're seeing these characters 25 years later and not everything is great i mean i guess we were we were given a tiny glimpse of it when in that scene in one of the early episodes the sort of blue tinted scene outside the diner when yeah, gordon yeah, yeah. first turns his thing down and albert admits that he kind of just boned some stuff and Gordon Gordon was just like, Albert. Mm." Mm -hmm. But like, it seems like there's... Yeah, and there's also the you heard me moment. Yeah, but well, yeah, it's it's just been interesting to see these characters with with some friction, with them not being on entirely the same wavelength, like... But still having an ultimate understanding of one another. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, they, they still work together while they have an understanding of each other. They're both driven to do the same thing, but sort of maybe who they are as people has drifted. I mean, just, yeah, just, I guess to sort of speak to what I was talking about, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. And I know I also mentioned this much earlier in the season, uh, but to what I see as one of the themes of this season being aging people, generally getting older, sort Mm -hmm. of life continuing and what that means for people, for places, um, for relationships, uh, I think I was talking about it most recently in the context of Bobby Briggs and Shelley, but also 
uh, Cooper, especially in the casino. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, I think this is a good, a good example of that theme in a much more subtle way, which is these two characters maintaining some really core thread and relationship between them that is incredibly meaningful and potent. And yet, as you say, maybe drifting apart in their affectations, their methods, yeah. their eccentricities. Just as they, as they've gotten older, what Gordon will indulge in versus what right. Albert will indulge in, what they both consider tolerable behavior, both, yeah, yeah sort of, they, they are not aligned in the same way as like the ratio se- between their job and their life and what yeah. it means to them. Yeah. In season one, if you ever saw Gorber- Gorbert, <laughs> that's their Gorbert couple name. <laughs> if you ever see Gordon, Albert and Cooper in the same room or like in Firewalk with me, the brief scenes that you see of yeah. them, it feels like they're like the tightest of tight knit crews. And now yeah. it does not seem like that. It feels like they're drawn back together because of all this stuff happening, but maybe that's not the way their lives would have gone. Yeah. Had it not been for uh, old Dougie Jones popping out of an electrical outlet. Yeah. If I could go back to the day that Dougie Jones popped out of an electrical outlet. <laughs> it feels like so long ago. It feels like such a long time ago. Yeah. Um, well, was there, was there any other FBI stuff? I mean, there's we get a couple other shots. We get Diane at the bar doing coordinate stuff. Yeah, which which Google maps its way onto Twin Peaks. Right, yeah, exactly. That um, was also really cool to see, even though it it's was. like, from, from, from again, from just like a dorky dork yeah. standpoint, like yeah, just seeing... Not, su- not surprising, but... You no, know, but just was, seeing yeah. it click, 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 and then she just has, like, as Diane, yeah. the char- like, as a character who did not exist other than just a name Cooper said, so whatever, yeah. but just well, you know, imagining that person's thought process as the cell phone yeah, just shows the totally. name of a town in the middle of a screen that she probably hasn't really wanted to think about Right. For, for two and a half decades. Yeah, definitely. Because she has no specific reason to assume any of this connects back to that. Yeah. Other than obviously the other Cooper than Cooper's connects. back. Right. But I mean, like, there's no reason that. Right. Other than the fact that that always relates to Cooper. Like right now. Right. Like why, you know. Um, it's inevitable because it's a story. But in her life, yeah, that wasn't an inevitable exa- discovery. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I had, it, I, that was a funny moment for me because I had gotten so accustomed to the, um, you know, Laura Dern characterized version of Diane that I, I I'm I'm so accustomed to that now mm-hmm. that I kind of forgot for just a, a microsecond that oh right Diane was this like disembodied character that's, I think that's why that, that moment works when you see Laura yeah. Dern look at the at the, basically the word Twin Peaks and the surrounding like miles of woods around it you're yeah. like it makes your brain like, yeah, like how suck many those hours things together has she heard yeah talking about heard, hearing about even Twin they specifically Peaks. say things you know they specifically tell Diane oh, you're not technically involved in this, but because you talked with Cooper and because you listened yeah. to the tapes, blah, 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 even that didn't, does not connect to the same way as just seeing yeah. Laura Dern read the words yeah, Twin yeah, Peaks yeah. on totally. a JPEG. Yeah. Um, all right, well, was there any other FBI thread stuff you wanted to address? I don't think so. Do you want to talk about uh, Ben Horn? I guess yeah. first the, the, Mir- the scene of just the very brief scene with Miriam and then yeah. the follow-up with Ben Horn. I mean, all that we really see is Miriam is in She's a hospital in intensive, care, in intensive yeah. care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I that 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 was it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I really, really, really actually liked this Ben Horn scene. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought he. Pl- I thought it was played really well. Um, I I always enjoy in Twin Peaks, and this goes back to the first two seasons. I always enjoy in Twin Peaks when two characters who we know very well individually 
encounter each other and then you realize as an audience member, oh, right, we never see these characters together. Right. Like these aren't characters who probably, who they're not brought together very often in the show, but they're probably also don't encounter each other that much in their fictional right, lives. Right, like Ben, Horn, ben Horn knows this guy because he's the sheriff, but through their conversation, it's very clear that the actual person that both of them know far more than each other is Harry Truman, the long-standing sheriff of Twin Peaks, yeah, with whom yeah, Ben yeah. Horn had, you know, crossed paths in outrageous ways 20 years ago, but, uh, you know, these two characters, yeah, very, very little. Yeah, yeah, and I just thought it was an it was a really, it was a slow scene, and there was a lot of, sort of recap of stuff we already know, but I, I, it didn't bother me in this case um, because I, really the point of it wasn't that exposition. The point of it was just letting the weight of it sort of sink in and let these characters bounce off each other. I agree. And, you know. Yeah, and to the point that I wasn't even thinking about the hotel room key until Ben Horn brought it out of his I pocket. Know, yeah, and I was like, I was oh, like, right, yeah, geez, yeah, yeah. okay, I've been waiting for you to hand this off forever, but I didn't care because it was just hearing hearing Truman and uh, and Ben talk about the fallout from Richard Horn and just like what uh, what a nightmare he is to both of them for totally completely yeah. different. I guess that's the other person they have in common is uh, is Richard yeah. Horn. Yeah. Um, ben Horn notably did not mention uh, Ben Horn's or Richard Horn's assault on his grandmother on on Ben Horn's ex wife. Yes, he did not talk about that. He didn't bring it up independently when the police didn't bring it up. Yeah. 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 Um, there was one thing that kind of bothered me about mm-hmm. the way they chose to use um, kind of recapping of knowledge on this. Mm-hmm. There's a point at which Ben mentions Harry and says, Harry, you know, comma, your your brother. Yep. He points out that he's that he's Truman's brother. But that but which whatever, that's fine. Like people sometimes talk like that, even sure. though obviously the only reason it bothers me is because. He is because that at one point then Ben asks Truman and the boy's parents and Truman says, as you can imagine, they in like very outrageously dance around actually saying anything conclusive like the parents names or like what where are they? What are they doing? Ah, As you can imagine. And yet we also have a character point out Harry, your brother. Yeah. That's it's a very stupid thing to complain about, but it was noticeable to me. It was me very uneven because, for convenience. Yeah, because yeah. it very, very conveniently walked around the one thing that would have been totally new to us. There's also just the I thought really effective capstone to that scene of Ben. Well, first he he reminisces about the bike. Um, I guess it's first to Beverly and then continues to do so himself. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's a very typical kind of thing right like you've got the older man reminiscing on his childhood but i again i just thought he really sold it and i really liked it that's also the exact sort of wistful monologue that ben horn has often been given and always just like eats up yeah that's true that's true yeah I was it. half expecting it to cross dissolve to him as a kid oh, uh, because <laughs> because of the way that it did that. I think only once, uh, but maybe twice yeah. in, in season two. Yeah. I mean, I with guess. With young Ben and Jerry and like the dancing babysitter oh, and the flashlight. Right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Wow, that would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, been a very different version of this for sure. It flashed back to him in the 50s walking a girl home on a date <laughs> and then a bug climbed into her mouth. Okay. Oh, that's not what it did. No. Uh, but I really liked it. I really liked his his little reverie there. Um, and I guess I wasn't thinking about this before, but I guess it is one, yet one more example of 
kind of aging, reflecting generational mm-hmm. cycles, all all of that, all that stuff that we keep getting bits of. Yep. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, what what next? We could talk about. Um, well, we talk about Audrey, the, yeah. other, the other horn. Let's stay on this horn track. Let's keep the horns going. <laughs> this was, I mean. Well, actually, I, we don't have to talk about the Jacoby scene in much detail, but I thought that the cut from him to this scene was very good. Mm. Oh, sure. I mean, do you want to just mention it? mention Jacoby since you just did and just take that yeah that it's just way. it was basically another Jacoby scene I didn't yeah. entirely know what the purpose of it was other than to have yeah it was very very much in line with past Jacoby scenes including some some audio at least if not some footage being I think actually reused yeah. but it, it seemed like it yeah, yeah I, it, it felt to me almost like that scene was put in there just because of the opportunity to create such a jarring cadence between it and the and the cut to Audrey Horn mm-hmm. I don't know you know, that's. I'm sure that's not the real reason why, but those two things back to back. Yeah. Uh, With his maximum spittle in beard. Yeah. Yeah. He really pushed. Yeah, down I mean, he was just because he, he was. Go. He screamed, "The ninth circle of hell will welcome you," and then yeah. it just cuts yeah. to Audrey uh, standing by that fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless we want to recap all of the different names and relationships being suggested in this scene. It's basically just one. I mean, it's effectively just one big continuous conversation, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's. It's not as though there's. A, there are a bunch of different scenes we can discuss. Um, I. What did you make of this? I don't even. I don't know what I made of that. What I. I. I, d- I had no idea what to make of it. It felt like I didn't recognize any of the names, other than I guess Billy. Billy, Billy has been said once. Yeah. By the the kid who ran into the uh, into the double R at, right before the end credits of one of Billy. And he, yeah, and the subtitles incorrectly uh, they listed the wrong name, but Showtime later said, "Sorry, he does actually say Billy." Yeah. So we've heard Billy said. Um, then they're talking about someone named Chuck. Her husband's name is Charlie, and. Which are both those are both shortened versions of Charles. Uh, all, all. Which is, I mean, not out of not that out that uncommon for Twin. No, Peaks. not un, not uncommon yeah. for Twin Peaks. It, it felt sometimes to me like they were almost talking about the story of Richard Horn, where they were talking about a truck being yeah. taken yeah. and bad things happening involving that. It also sometimes felt like Charlie Audrey's husband was either like holding her here or almost gaslighting her where he well, there's a contract there's an explicit contract he mentions right I, but i mean even inside the conversation where audrey's like i want to go to the roadhouse mm-hmm. and he's like well there's a big forest between there and da, 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 da. fine i'll make the phone call but like he he always sort of turns the conversation into a loop that will prevent audrey from actually gaining any ground right. or leaving yeah and it it was so aggressively that to the point that I couldn't even tell if what I was looking at was real. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, even to the point of him saying, okay, we'll go. And he agrees to go. And then he's like, but first maybe I'll make the phone call. Right. Right. Well, he's like, I need to get my jacket. And she's like, get your jacket. And and then he calls the person and then holds out. It feels like she's actually in a nightmare to me. Like that actually, whether she literally is or figuratively is, it felt like an absolute nightmare to me to watch. Like I, (laughs) it felt, I mean, it was interesting but just like from Audrey's point of view, kind of stopped being interesting for me after a while. Okay, you're right. It, yeah. it sort of it, it had sort of a curve of when it got when it got to the end and he was on the phone call, then just withheld all the information. I was interested again just because of how 
absurd and infuriating it was. But yeah. um, we actually have two emails about this that are relevant. I'm going to read one because it is directly relevant to, to what you're talking about right okay. now. Uh, this is from the forums, the um, Twin Peaks rewatch forums. That Thomas writes. Do we know for sure that Audrey is out of the coma? Because the only way I could fully make sense of that scene, outside of the complete randomness being kind of funny, is that it might be a coma dream Audrey's having, where she's partially tuning into what's happening in the real world and incorporating it into the dream. I saw that post after I watched the episode, and I thought it was a... I mean, we have no way of knowing whether that is true or has any way, but... It was a really interesting thing to hear it, and it reminded me instantly, I guess, of Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't have any reason to believe this is the case, but I do think it's an interesting yeah. comment. And it it what yeah. what is this? I mean, yeah. despite me saying all these things, it's also the part of that is just me not wanting Audrey to have this life. And if this is actually Audrey's sure. life, what a disaster and what a bummer. Yeah. One here's a funny email. <laughs> oh, this we, is a crucial email. We got from Claire Serto who writes Hey guys, was it just me or did you legitimately assume for about five minutes that Audrey was trying to find Billy Zane? <laughs> Regards, Claire Serto. My, yeah. my brain did that where I was like, Billy, oh, is that? I went for about five seconds. I was like, no, 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 that, that guy's name is Wheeler. Okay. Yeah, it was about, <laughs> it was a, it was a, an eter- five seconds lasted about an eternity in my yes. neural pathways firing with that <laughs> one. I'm like, like, Billy, who the? Where's Billy? Billy what Billy, is Billy, Billy Zane? Zane? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I just, I don't know what else to, to make of this scene. Yeah, I don't either. I guess we'll see. Yeah. We're running out of, we're, I keep saying that, but we've <laughs> just watched episode 12. Every time you say it, it gets more true. We are running out of episodes. We, I mean, we only have six <laughs> hours of this thing yeah. left out of 18. Yeah, we're in we're the two thirds done. We're two thirds done. Yeah. Which is really intense given where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we talk about Sarah Palmer? Yes. Yes. Sarah, the Sarah Palmer stuff and the FBI stuff was easily like the maximum standout Definitely, content for Highly me in this agree. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace Zabriskie continues to be an absolutely Holy incredible crap. actress. Yeah. this. <laughs> if I had seen just her two scenes as the only thing that showed me what Twin Peaks season three was, my mind would have exploded. <laughs> yeah. I, The stuff with her, I mean, I remembered when we saw, we, we first see her... Uh, rolling down the grocery store aisle, picking up uh, ingredients for Bloody Mary. Yeah. And I think that that's those scenes of her in the liquor store were some of the first actual footage we saw of Twin Peaks. It was in that, uh, the character montage and I completely mm, forgot about it. I, I, saw I don't even remember that now still. Um, this is a ridiculous thing to say, I guess, cause it's just a liquor store full of junk, but yeah. what a really well like photographed sequence that stuff mm. was like, I, we haven't actually talked about the cinematography of Twin Peaks: The Return very much. Yeah, partly Outside because of some of the uh, establishing shots. And yeah, the establishing like shots, that. and also the totally weird stuff. Yeah. Partly because I think it's aesthetically a little bit of a mixed bag. It's hard to tell. Like, sure, it's not aiming for the same universal look. But there are some scenes in this game. Game. Wow. There are some <laughs> scenes in this show, um, especially places like this that are just a populated space that I think that Lynch and his cinematographer and whoever's doing the sort of color grading make look so interesting and just like real but in a in a like beautiful to look at way like in this case it was just a bunch of real dumpy liquor sure and then a checkout aisle that has just been caked on full of like things on hangers and gum packets and stuff over the years yeah and that wall of beef jerky yep and sarah palmer yep and it was so like aesthetically transfixing as well as just being uh you know interesting for all the other reasons yeah yeah, yeah. um 
Well, in terms of those other reasons, I... Yes, let's talk about the scene. I thought... I, I don't know, obviously, what it means in the specifics, and it may mean nothing at all, which is totally fine with me, uh, but her fixation on the turkey jerky mm-hmm. as she learns what it is and her sort of identification that something has changed about it, I thought was incredible and really very that is it was something that I, I this season actually has not done very much um but the original run of twin peaks does a lot which is to sort of which is to have that kind of fixation on something seemingly mundane but that in the interiority of the character focusing on it yeah. is intensely meaningful in ways that, that was are all- so overwhelming to them that they try and explain it uh, but it means not, you know, it yeah. just doesn't mean anything coming out of their mouth. That's also all over Firewalk with me. Yes, actually, Firewalk with me probably even more so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think the thing that she noticed is just that the turkey jerky is added. Like, yeah, it's different. It's a change. There just wasn't yeah. something there, and yeah, just yeah. seeing that something in in the world is different made her think about something way deeper yeah. down inside of her yeah, that definitely. she senses has changed. Right. But that that feeling of yeah. Well, okay. So here's you know what you bring up Firewalk with me. I think is really a- apt because. I think the thing that was so powerful about that scene for me is that it works on two levels, one of which is obviously Twin Peaks uh, kind of wackiness and and who knows what connections mm-hmm. these are, if any, and what does this mean? And it's so it's like, whoa, it's jerky, weird, it's just weird, right? Uh, but the other thing is just the sort of what felt to me a really potent portrait of someone who essentially has something akin to PTSD, right? I mean, yeah. And the the idea that she is drawing a connection in her brain to something that, aside from, like, discard all of the kind of supernatural and lore elements of Twin Peaks and everything else, um, that was a an extremely traumatic event that is going to echo in this person's life indefinitely. And the defining characteristic of that event, as with, you know, presumably many traumas is that it was such an absolutely unimaginable break from what she knew and understood the world to be Mm -hmm. and the way things work. And it is totally, um, even if I don't, I'm obviously not a psychologist or psychiatrist and I would never claim that this is actually just true or how people operate, but it felt true enough to me as a television viewer that her perception of something changing in the world in a way that breaks with what I imagine is a very well-established pattern of her going to this store and checking out um, would sort of fire those neurons in a way that would be very distressing and cause a break yeah. for her. And I, I, it just, it just in the moment played really well. And I, I, yep. she carried it off extremely well. And even the, the people behind the register, you know, I thought played it pretty well. It just, the whole thing felt really powerful yep. to me. I liked that they chose when writing the scene that instead of those those two sort of teens or young people being confused or like being annoyed by Sarah Palmer, yeah, they, they were distressed. They he was have, like, "Should I bring her her groceries?" Yeah. Like his ultimate response they didn't have was like, like "Jeez, oh, old weird old person." Yeah, no, they yeah. were they 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 were unnerved and kind they were of put unnerved, off, but they ended but up they, being sort of compassionate about yeah, it. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I thought yep. that was nice. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was really nice to. It was a tiny little reminder of the sort of small town Twin Peaks that we have seen fairly little of in this season, uh, which is that this kid 
knows where the, he just knows where this lady lives. Like it's a small town. She probably comes in there all the time. You know, they don't probably know each other well as people. Right. And it's like, oh, it's Sarah Palmer. I know where she lives. Right. You know, like that's. Yep. Uh, that was a great little detail. I thought. Did it seem to you at times during this scene? I mean, uh, that she was talking to herself, but actually there were two voices inside yes, talking to each 100%, other. Yes. To the point that there was Definitely. almost almost overlap. Yes. Not quite, but like it was hard yeah. to tell uh-huh. when her speech got really For muddled. Sure. I started to wonder, especially at when Hawk shows up at her house. I started when Hawk to wonder up, if well, she, like Bob was a related. Somehow. I know. I I wondered that as well. Of like, just what is going on inside of Sarah Palmer's head? Because she. In the middle of it, she answered one of his questions with like clenched teeth and like her facial expression and her speech mannerism changed and became that sort of very deliberate cadence. She also, um, you know, in the grocery store was talking to herself, not, I mean, like talking to herself in the most literal way. She was having a conversation with herself. She was saying, like, stop it, stop it, Sarah, like, you know, get under control or whatever it was. Um, Yeah, that that stuff was very, extremely, um, like, pushed to the front of yeah. it all. Well, before we leave the grocery store, oh, there's, well, just there's, a more. Couple, well, there's just a particular okay. sort of line I want to mention in the vein of, of what we're just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, she she says, your room seems different and men are coming. You have to watch out. Things can happen. Something happened to me. I condensed that a bit, but that's basically what she says. Um, and it almost sounds like she's talking to Laura before her death. Huh. Like it almost sounds like a warning that she is given like it it made it sound like she is remembering things that happened to her i don't know if she was ever directly abused by leland the way leland abused laura right but i mean it just it the way she was delivering all that really to me felt like bringing back those direct events huh yeah obviously i don't know if any of that's true but that's how it came off to me the way she said it it was like a very sharp statement delivered as a clear yeah, no, your reader that's her almost talking to Laura out of time is crazy. Yeah. Um, I had not thought about that at all, but now that's really fascinating. And in a, the idea of Sarah telling Laura literally the room seems different and it being in reference to Laura's room, the, um, I want, <laughs> sorry, this is not what this means. But the first thing that I thought of was Laura hanging that painting up on the wall in Fire Walk With Me and actually oh, putting up a piece of art yeah, in her room, yeah, yeah, yeah. which otherwise was clearly entirely decorated by her mom. Yeah. I'm sure that's not what this, is about, but might not be not what it's about, Chris. I'm positive. <laughs> um, I mean, just I mean, to 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 go even more afield, but clearly, definitely related to this stuff in some sense. We see that ceiling fan immediately. Yeah, oh, I was, her I house. was yeah. Actually, wh- to go back quickly to what Sarah was saying and it being a possible message to Laura. I think that you're right that it's that, but in the style of Twin Peaks and especially Twin Peaks The Return, I like that it works both as an echo into the past and as probably a vague prophecy about the future because yeah, we I know think so. I think so. that like- Yeah, things are happening. Everything things are converging. Is, everything yeah, is converging yeah, yeah, yeah. on Twin Peaks, definitely, like within yeah. this episode and the last couple episodes. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then we see the, the ceiling fan at the house- Seeing the ceiling fan again was a very potent reminder that Sarah Palmer has literally been living underneath the weight of this for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, yep. Also, that ceiling fan is still so potent an image. With, even, especially with that sound. Yeah, with a little work that he does. Yeah. yeah. There was a, um, that reminds me, last episode, I don't think I mentioned this last episode, but we got a sort of framing of stairs. 
on yes. the last episode that was not the same shot as the it classical. It was so Obama evocative episode. of it. It was, yeah, it was almost like an upside down version. It was of when it. Um, Becky goes to goes yes. to Mustache yes. Whispers yes. apartment. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's that guy's name, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you see that a very similar just foreboding staircase. David Lynch shooting a nothing object in the most terrifying way possible. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was But yeah. yeah, this ceiling fan shot, very good. Um and then Hawk. Sarah Palmer and Hawk talking is another two characters who don't usually interact, right. but we know quite a lot of, and yeah. just catching the little scratches of their overlap in life is mm-hmm. good. Yeah, this was also just classic Hawk, right? In terms yeah. of sort of doing his job, pushing a little bit, but like ultimately being sort of a gentle yep. person who doesn't want to like. And Sarah push. Palmer concedes to why he's there in a way, in a very human way, which was yeah, really interesting given how it turns, where she's like, okay, yeah. I know. Because all he says is some old investigations have opened yeah, up. Yeah, which is true, but... And, and yeah. you know, it felt like her saying, well, I know why you're really here. I read that or wondered if that was both, you know, her just being a normal human being who just... Uh, but also maybe wanting to get away. If Hawk was literally about to start asking her a question about Agent Cooper or about oh, Laura sure. Palmer or anything, if she's like, well, yeah. let's, let's move it out of the way. Yeah. But... Um, Obviously, from there, then there's the rattling in the kitchen, and he says, someone in the house. Yeah. Is somebody in the house? No, there's just something in the kitchen. And then she, she says, it's a goddamn bad story, isn't it, Hawk? That's yep. what she says That's through she gritted says. teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then uh, closes the door That's on him, basically. Yeah, that's the scene. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing with only six hours of this left at this point? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand how this works. This, but I guess this season we'll continues to just open up doors within doors within doors of yeah. weird characterization and weird plot yeah. and we got very little time for it to for uh-huh. it to lock down I, know. I don't understand I don't but I but whatever how I there's no point there's literally no point talking about it because <laughs> I mean like our main our main thread moved very far today uh it moved across the distance of uh, 10 feet in the Jones family's backyard when Sonny Jim threw a baseball <laughs> yes. into Cooper's head and then the camera cut away. Yep. So like, yeah. whoop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of admire this show to some degree for how willing it is to spend absolutely forever on what in some cases are definitely nothing. Right. right. Like that Roadhouse stuff at the end. That's that's not anything. Yeah, those There's no way that's anything. Those roadhouse scenes all and feel yet, like they're Cooper, inti- those are the scenes that actually feel intended to just be little vignettes to show yeah. something, but they're yeah. not Sure, I mean I'm not whatever, it's fine, but right, like, but like but, you know, <laughs> anyway, starring Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> Boof. <laughs> yeah. No, I I do admire it for that. It's I mean, it's just it's just it's what it is. It's what it is, and I don't know what to say about it. Um, Hutch and Chantal is the other sort of um, progression of direct plot we get in this episode. Yes. It was basically the, the tiniest scene ever, right? I oh, mean, we, uh, compared to this episode, it was not the tiniest scene ever. Uh, compared to the scene we literally just talked true. about. There You're right. A... <laughs> also, it was it was uh, a kind of distressing, horrible scene, if I remember correctly. Well, it was a man murdering someone in cold blood. With so his child running out of the door screaming, yeah, Dad. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then their next stop is Wendy's. So yes. that is exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid coming out really messed me up and made me really sad. It was really sad. Like, there were a lot of people who objected very strongly to that kid getting hit by a car. Uh-huh. 
that felt so much of it felt almost like a cinematic trope to me the way that it was shot and stuff that my yeah. brain kind of just ignored it but this where you see the warden's body jerk and fall to the yeah. ground and then like in the same shot he starts yeah. to stumble up yeah, yeah in, the, in that same shot the kid runs out and starts screaming for his dad and then they get leave in the car good mm, yeah. god yeah no I mean it's yeah. good god it represents a willingness to depict uh, I guess just callousness and brutality yeah um, that uh, has been not uncommon in this season yeah which you know, it's just going to be differently acceptable to different people. I, yeah. I, at this point, I don't. I'm, I don't really have a lot of interest in expressing it, a judgment about it. It is just, you know, no a, fair. It's part of the toolbox of this season. If you do, then it's fine with I, me. I don't. I'm not going to. What's the point in saying anything one way or the other? I I also didn't like dislike it or not want to see it in the show, but it did shock the hell out of me and make me feel really bad and uncomfortable. I find it interesting that that is like, we were talking about the two grocery checkers earlier with Sarah Palmer and their sort of small town compassion. The early run of the show, like seasons one and two, I guess basically anything. Like, yeah. Seasons one and two of the show. You free fire walk with pre fire walk with yeah. me. Yeah. You see a lot of that style, small town stuff. And then Laura Palmer, her murder is this huge exception that runs through it. But the sort of, roots coming out of it or whatever the sort of whatever fed into her murder is very clearly we we get we see the investigation and the teens in the town walk those paths just far enough out to go wow okay the world outside is real bad but they don't show it and this episode we we have literally you know minutes apart that guy getting shot in the head and then those two kids who see a woman have an aggressive aggressive panic attack or like you know mental breakdown and then their instinct is like oh i'm gonna go give her her groceries or whatever like mm-hmm. not that there's any direct correlation between those two things but you also yeah, you you don't see those two types of behavior depicted in those ways to such that extreme back to back that right. often right 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 no totally i mean i also think that in just in general i mean you know by complete coincidence you and i were looking at a list of characters on Twin Peaks who are murderers. Oh, it's because we were before this episode. We were looking up we were looking Hutch's at page Hutch. on on a, on a Twin Peaks wiki, and yeah. then it said he's in the categories characters. Yeah, season three characters murderers. And it's yeah, and it's worth remembering that there are. I mean, in addition to Laura Palmer, there are a lot of people who are killed in Twin Peaks. In total, a lot of those in uh, the first two seasons of Twin Peaks are treated in sort of a sort of uh, sometimes. Uh, very sober way, sometimes in more of a kind of pulpy or hilarious way. Yeah, sort of um, stylized cinematic. Yeah, and I do think there is value to uh, showing acts like that in a very raw and brutal way because there's not, you know, I mean, even if you're a minor character to someone else, like, I don't know. I Yeah. I don't really, I, I'm not really going anywhere at this. I don't really have a point, but like, I I think there is there is value in the degree of brutality the show is willing to uh, put on screen. Yeah, if they're um, going to show it, they know, actually sh- try to show what seems to be yeah. their version of an unvarnished version of it, as opposed to yeah. either skirting around it or having this assassination scene be stylistically very cool right. or like as long as the whole in, yeah. as long as the whole season ultimately sort of goes somewhere and and you know yes. I, I, who knows what that is i mean we any prediction any of us have had about any aspect of this season has been basically worthless to this point yeah. <laughs> you know yeah who knows? living in the middle of it there's always the risk that it will be feel ultimately purely indulgent or 
devoid of discernible meaning or whoever knows yeah. what, but there's no point which, in getting which, into that. Which surely, if we had been watching Twin Peaks Season 2 during that original run, <laughs> would have been a very easy yeah. assumption to we make We also would have well. been kind of right during the middle of Season 2. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, that's kind of my point, I guess. Well, sort of. I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but when David Lynch comes in and directs the finale of the season, it's going to really... <laughs> Um, we never mentioned the very brief Jerry Horn scene. Speaking oh, yeah. Of, speaking of small scenes. Also speaking of surprisingly beautiful scenes out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it looked so nice. Yeah, it really did. That Northwest Vista. There were some good exterior shots in this episode generally. There were a few of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, some good, like, misty mountains. We were really all about those sort of drone shots of, of the Pacific Northwest, and they yeah. were all beautiful. I mean, before Jacoby broadcast starts, we get that shot of the dark, cloudy moon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch of those. The moon being covered up by clouds happens maybe once an episode at this point. It is very much the stoplight shot of mm. this season. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. That uh, Jerry Horn thing, it's... More of that guy being wacky out in the woods. I have to imagine eventually something will happen to him. It would not be surprising to me if because of the way that sort of time dilation works, like we're so many episodes past when Bobby found the little pill that told people about Jack Rabbit's palace. Yep. Without that storyline yeah, moving yeah. forward, it seems increasingly likely that we're going to end up in a world where everyone for some reason converges on that point. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That... My my assumption, which is probably wrong, is that Diane honing in on those uh, that dot on her phone, even though it says Twin Peaks, the number is far more specific than that. Yeah, and I just, feel like it's I, going to end up just being. I assume it is. It's that, literally that same that same location. Is, but who knows? Yeah, but but that's what I was guessing. As well, They're all going to be there, and then Dougie and uh, Bad Cooper are going to pop out of two electrical outlets. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Gordon will say, "I don't know which one to shoot." <laughs> And then someone will say something that he misinterprets and shoots the wrong yeah, one. Yeah, shoots the wrong one. Or yeah. did he? And we were wrong all along. <laughs> yeah. Bad Coop is regular Cooper. Yeah. He's okay. just mad. Anyway. Uh, what, Chris? This is... this is No, you're right. This you're, is the content people want to hear. All theories are correct. Okay. Uh, there's also the scene with Carl Rod at the New Fat Trout. Oh, yeah. Which was seemingly not particularly connected to anything, but was a kind of a nice... I mean, yeah. speaking of, of the kind of small town community yep. stuff that, that slotted in well with that. Yeah, people people just kind of being nice or happy about things that are happening in their life or showing a little bit of compassion. There was actually a lot of those little beats, like the grocery store one and Hawk, Hawk and this scene at the New Fat Trot, and even... Ben Horn to some degree. Yes, and Gordon's appreciation of Preston joining yeah. into the FBI. Yeah. Like, those were all... there. It felt like there were a lot of moments of actual, like real feeling human positivity yeah. in the face of kind of weird or bummer things, yeah. which I liked. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much is the whole episode. I mean, yeah. I don't, I, do you want to read this thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. We have a, there was a, a post on the Twin Peaks forums that quotes a Reddit post from the Twin Peaks Reddit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this was uh, found by Marblize on our forums and posted originally by Wanzi19. And it reads, 
One of the returns themes is patience and impatience. Impatience is what Richard displays when he blows through an intersection and kills a child. What Bradley Mitchum shows when he shouts at Candy, Bradley becomes sick with impatience when he can no longer wait to kill Dougie Jones. It's what the angry woman honking demonstrates when she's shouting at Bobby. Her impatience in the scene precedes a violently sick child. Audrey in episode 12 is taken to insulting and shouting in her impatience with her husband's lack of action. Impatience is what Hutch and Chantel talk about before killing the warden coldly in front of his son. The counter to this is obviously patience, which Betty Briggs in her scene in an earlier episode displays and is rewarded for beautifully when she waits 25 years for the day her son and fellow officers show up at her door. Dougie and Janie use patience with the police officers and are allowed to leave freely. Rodney and Bradley are patient with Bradley's dream playing out before them and are rewarded with the greatest gift ever, $30 million. (laughs) A display of pure goodness with Dougie being shown love from the old woman and most of all cherry freaking pie. So what I'm saying is, impatience with this series leads only to Garmin Bosia. Appreciate those long, quiet scenes you're supposed to look around. It's a painting. The colors and faces are beautiful. Patience will lead you to a Valhalla filled with coffee and cherry pie that will kill you. And, yeah, I I thought that was kind of just a fun take. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm wary of, like, too many kind of, uh, like, one-to-one reading the audience, like, into kind of interpretations. Yes. Just because of how frequently uninterested David Lynch seems to be in that kind of thing. But on the other hand, it doesn't really matter. Even if, if you take the audience intention is or not. I, right? I liked this, uh, this write up on, like I've seen a few people on our forums and email and just on online talking about this notion of patience versus impatience. And I like this specifically because as you said, you don't need to include, Oh, this character or this scene is a surrogate for the audience being right, annoyed. Right, right, like, right, right. Oh, why don't we ignore that? Because a lot of the audience isn't annoyed. Uh, 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 wow. Isn't annoyed. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, I guess that can wrap up our episode. Um, Thanks, Reddit. Be patient. In conclusion. Um, I, I'm bad at that. <laughs> I, yeah, well, aren't we all? Uh, if you have any email that you would like to send us about uh, the next episode of Twin Peaks The Return or uh, anything else about the series, you can do so by writing to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. And uh, again, I'm going to call out our wonderful forums, the Twin Peaks Rewatch forums. If you go to TwinPeaksRewatch.com, there is a forum thread link on every single episode page. um, And those threads always go up before our podcast does so you can discuss the episode um, even if we haven't done so yet. And those are incredibly active threads um, with a very thoughtful and courteous community um, for the most part. It is they're just great places to talk about the episodes. I always like reading them. They're really good. TwinPeaksRewatch.com for uh, links to those as well as all the other places we are on the internet. And with that, we will be back next week for part 13. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye. Bye.